Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Tim Fontaine is a comedy writer and member of the Saging First Nation in Manitoba, Canada, and he calls Winnipeg, Manitoba, home. 
a former journalist who has worked for the CBC and the Aboriginal People's Television Network, more commonly known as APTN, Fontaine has quietly, almost anonymously, earned a large online following for founding the Indigenous comedy website and social media force that is Walking Eagle News. Renowned for its parodies and satiric takes on political hypocrisy and for highlighting the genocide, dehumanization, and continuing mistreatment of Indigenous peoples in Canada and beyond, Walking Eagle News is one of the sharpest, most uncompromising hubs for comedic socio-cultural criticism in the world. Tim and I connected for a chat recently to discuss pandemic life in Winnipeg, the calls to cancel Canada Day in the wake of almost weekly horrifying discoveries of mass graves on the sites of several of Canada's disgraceful, endlessly traumatizing residential schools where Indigenous children were sent against their and their families' wills by government decree, what he thinks will constitute real and not simply symbolic change for Canada's Indigenous peoples, his upbringing in Manitoba and how he got into journalism and comedy, how and why he started Walking Eagle News, his many future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 621st episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Tim Fontaine of Walking Eagle News, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Tim. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. First of all, where in the world are you? I'm in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Ah, how are things going in Winnipeg, Manitoba for you today? And, and maybe just generally, what's your sense of things? You know what? It's a beautiful sunny day. The kids are playing, so it's 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 okay. And it's uh, the first sort of weekend that of, of Manitoba's reopening after, I think, about seven months of Code Red, so... Oh, nice! So yes, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Manitoba was uh, was struggling there, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, big time, and still is. I mean, we're not out of the we're not out of the the bush yet, but it's uh, it's nice to have some some lower numbers for a while and to be able to go and do other things than yeah. hide out in your house. Yeah, I'm in Alberta. Uh, moved here uh, January 2020, and uh, wow. then the pandemic started, and I I, I come from Ontario, yep. and I I'm not I don't. Both seemed bad. Yes, uh, have seemed bad <laughs> in yeah. terms of uh, leadership and whatnot, and just dealing with it. Uh, and from what I, I've talked to a couple, of, I talked to a friend in Brandon, Manitoba, and uh, at some point during the pandemic, he said, "Oh yeah, well this is really bad. Like the leadership here is yeah. they're not dealing with this well at all." What's your assessment yeah. of that? Like, it, yeah, it it varied across the country, right? Like we were in Ontario for the first part of the pandemic, like when it first hit, we were there from. Like we were there for a year for my partner was is a journalist and so she was doing a fellowship so we were in Toronto when it when it all happened, 
And so that happened, and then we left, and then we came back to Manitoba where they didn't have much of a first wave. And then the second wave was when it really started to hit, right? And that's when you saw people, like governments especially, sort of either, I don't know, like not not believing it was real or, or just not handling it right or not wanting to infringe on people's rights and make them wear masks. So there was all these things that happened, right, where it was sort of like, you would see some small towns in Manitoba where they had like some of the worst, they had like some of the worst test positivity rates in the world. You know what I mean? So it was, it was pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, a lot of places are sort of, uh, you know, like I said, we're not, we're not, we're not out of it yet, but we're, you know, it's nice to see that things are sort of getting under control now that there's, there's vaccines happening, although now there's the variants, right? So it's hard to tell what's going to happen next. Yeah. We're not, we're not out of it yet. I have to remind I have to remind my various family members of this, and I sound like a killjoy, but yeah. uh, I don't mean to be. <laughs> yeah, no, well, and that's I've, the thing. I mean, you, you sort of, like, as soon as you see some little light of whatever, you're you're obviously going to gravitate towards it, right? So, Yeah, you know, no, that part makes sense. We have yeah. two children here who have are, are not old enough uh, to meet the threshold for a vaccine, so yes. they are completely unprotected, yes. and so that's part, and I, and I, from what I've... Not to go so. Uh, we, this keeps happening on the show, and it's just the state of the world. So we go vaccine heavy at the top, and I. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's the <laughs> li- we're all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a, that's our yeah. lived, shared, lived experience. What yes, are we supposed exactly. to do? But yeah, yeah, they're too little, and they have nothing. And and so my yeah. wife and I are both now doubly vac- uh, vaccinated. I should say, or you know, we got the yeah. two doses. Uh, and but they have nothing, and so I'm like, yeah. well, if they have nothing, and I can still, even if it doesn't exactly, you know, yeah. destroy me the way it would have if I was unvaccinated, I can still carry it, I think, and yes. then they could still get it, and other people can do the same. So then I'm like, do we send them back to school in September? Like I don't know what to do. I'm still confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. and it's it's yeah, and that's the thing. It, it it feels like this vaccine, this sort of not this vaccine, this this pandemic is sort of like taking taking turns with everybody. It's like the first time it was all the elderly. The second time it was like, you know, people my age, sort of people in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And then now it's like, well, now it's time for the kids. Because now it's like there's more, because of the variants, there's more young people that are getting it, right? So it's it's been yeah. such a crazy, yeah. crazy pandemic. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, the whole thing about, yeah, the kids not being vaccinated is absolutely right. I mean, that's, it's fine for us, but we can still carry it from what I understand. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, it, it's pretty scary. Still. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is very scary. You were yeah. you were kind of trying to deduce why governments might be behaving the way they were in various provinces. Yeah, uh, I I'm guessing based on what I know of you and your amazingly funny and sharp work, you're not surprised by this behavior. Uh, and also, oh. I assume subtextually, I think we both know that. Their main motivation is, as always, is sort of an economic one, an exploit, an economic yeah. ex- exploitation one. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, it's economics, and it's but it's also sort of like not trying to piss off their base, right? So if their base believes that, maybe believes that it's not even real, and that wearing masks is akin to slavery, then then they're gonna they're gonna do every drag their feet as much as they possibly can to to not have to do that, right? So yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, even Ontario and Toronto, which everybody believes is some sort of uh, lefty stronghold is is not really right. Like that's that it's actually surprisingly conservative that province and that that city. So, I mean, that's why you have the Fords to begin with, right? So, I mean, yeah, like people, 
There's the economics, which is sort of like, well, let's let big business, let's leave them alone. Let's not wake them up and, and piss them off or they'll leave us, right? Like that that sort of attitude. And the other thing is sort of like, well, as long as possible, I don't want to force people to wear masks because that'll, that'll make them. Yeah. So there's I mean, they're not of, comfortable. Yeah. I get it all. I, I get, I mean, I don't yeah. totally get it. And I know this is going to sound like cognitive dissonance for someone to leave Ontario <laughs> and the Fords for Jason yeah, Kenney Jason and the UCP. Kenny, yeah. And and that, but it was a factor. I was just like, I can't. I mean, there are other factors. We couldn't. The real estate market where we were living in Ontario was bonkers. Oh. It made no sense. So yeah, you couldn't afford imagine. to. Yeah. We were a family of four in a two bedroom house, and we had a house in the downtown Guelph, Ontario, and yeah. it was valuable. The property was valuable, but the house wasn't really yeah. livable for four people anymore. And when we tried to move, we were being outbid by people often moving in from Toronto, fleeing Toronto. And we would be outbid yeah. by tens of thousands of dollars. I had heard rumors of people being outbid by hundred thousand dollars on a house. Yeah. You know, so you can't yeah, live insane. there. And so you ha- and then you come, you know, here in, in Edmonton where we moved, softer market. We got higher yeah. paying jobs. It all and my wife's family is from here. Seemed to make sense. Yeah. But then as the pandemic has rolled on, I'll be frank with you, I've started to question the decision, like just based on the way <laughs> this government is operating. But then I think about what's yeah. going on in Ontario. Anyway, I don't know, like. Canada is. Yeah, there's no. The Canada is no, really messed there's up. No safe haven. Yeah, there, yeah exactly. No, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to just sort of hunker down wherever you are and and kind of hope for the best and and try and do whatever you can. I guess whatever's best for your family. Yeah, but that's that's the. Yeah, I mean that's that's just where Canada's at. I mean, it, to me, it doesn't matter whether it's left or right who's in power. I mean that that's that's my attitude as an indigenous person is sort of like it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it, it you know they're gonna screw you somehow. And so that's the philosophy that I've had as a journalist, and also a philosophy I've that Walking Eagle News have, which is yeah, that yeah. like people think, oh, you hate the you hate the liberals, you must want the conservatives back, and it's like fuck no, it's it, it doesn't matter who's in power. Yeah. Jesus Christ himself could be in power, and that you know gov- that's how governments behave. That's that's my that's my honest belief. And when these hopeful new parties try and come in, like the NDP. I look at that too, and I think, well, it, they just haven't had a chance yet yeah. <laughs> to do that. And uh, you know, I hate to be so pessimist, but I, I honestly believe that that you know, there's Canadian people and then there's Indigenous people. And I think, for you know, speaking only as an Indigenous person, our sort of salvation and our escape from all of that is not in that system. It's it's elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's within us, right? It's within our communities and it's within our nations. So yeah. that's how I feel. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I want to get into your background as a, a journalist uh, and a satirist. Uh, obviously, that's uh, that's something I'm interested in. But I, I do. Since we're taught, you mentioned you invoked Canada. We've been invoking Canada. Yeah, there's a lot of chatter uh, right now about the notion of canceling Canada Day somehow. Yeah, and uh, as we're speaking, I, I I think various parts of the country and various communities are grappling with how that could what that would mean and and how to do that or how why we shouldn't do that what is your take what is your take on these conversations like that to me on the one hand i mean it's it's a horrible circumstance we're in that we're even considering this and for those who don't know uh basically what's been going on in canada uh recently is that they are discovering mass graves at residential schools uh across the country here missing and murdered children are being and adults are being uh, discovered. And so this is really, 
for many of us in this country, it's really forcing us to look at our history again, as we always should be. But in particular, it's been very horrifying. And so now uh, there's chatter about like, well, Canada Day is on July 1st. How could we possibly celebrate this? How do we reflect upon what this country is and where it comes from? I don't know if you agree with my encapsulation there, first of all, Tim, but I... Th- I th- no, that, yeah, no, that's, that, that's, about, that's right. about right. So what do you make of this conversation even happening? Like in, it seems to me, even on a mainstream level of like communities saying... Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's it's happening. Like there's cities like Victoria, like like that you can't get much more colonial than, than yeah. Victoria, BC. I mean, it looks like England, <laughs> exactly. right? It's like yeah. <laughs> I mean, even they're saying, no, we're, you know, we're going to revisit this and we're going to, we're going to think about what this means. And, and it's a moment of reflection and nobody's going to freaking die because you cancel Canada day. Like, so what? Like, that's my, like my thing is a lot of these things as a cynic, it's, it's easy for me to believe that it's an easier discussion for them to have than doing anything actually meaningful. Because to me, that's not really a meaningful act mm. to just cancel a celebration. Oh, boo-hoo. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah, I guess if, you, you know, I mean, I, I understand why people are doing it. It's sort of like a, it's it's telling Canada, like, smarten up. Like, stop stop acting like this country is so fantastic. And, and presenting yourself on the world stage is like, oh, we've got beavers and Mounties and, and yeah. maple syrup and we're so silly and stuff like that. Meanwhile, there's mass graves. You know, to me, if, if it sort of shakes that, then then great. But I think there's there's far more concrete things that need to happen. Yeah. Than just canceling Canada. But it's like, I don't know if the, if, if straw man argument is the right way that I see this happening or whether it's just sort of, I don't know, you know, a deflection of some kind. But I, I feel like when people like, like Aaron O'Toole or, e, or even Trudeau grapple with these discussions as opposed to doing real things, then, then that, then I'm always very sort of suspicious because it's like, yeah, okay, well, let's, let's make the fight about this right now and not actually about, returning land or or helping communities find these bodies or any of these things right i just find that that's that's and the media goes along with that right so yeah. they're you know everybody sort of has a role in in sort of putting weight where it probably shouldn't be as strong i mean if they want to do it that's good sure i'm all for that but at the same time um it's not my hill to die on right like it's like I, I could care. I could care less. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess where I where I that's the, I appreciate that perspective and I agree with it. Uh, I will also say that I think for what what I think most of these political leaders and politicians know as they're running for office, as they're trying to cajole people into supporting them, is they know that um, there's a certain segment of the population, a large segment of the population, that is really swayed by symbolism. Empty or otherwise. Yeah. And Canada Day yep. is, uh, you know, and Thanksgiving, like these are really loaded holidays for some of us. And for others, they're not. Yep. They're just a time of whatever, getting together, celebrating, blowing things up in the sky, these kinds of things. And I think that in having these, I'm guessing, and I don't know what their actual motivations are, but if you're a, a mainstream media figure or a politician and you start even entertaining the notion that Canada Today is illegitimate or should be re-examined, there's a certain segment of the population, and again, I would say a large segment of the population that will be shocked, utterly shocked that you would even consider attacking this symbol of unity and nationalism. And on, on sure. some level, I'm guessing that could affect a certain 
segment of that segment <laughs> to really ponder it and really reflect. So it, it's I get yeah, yeah, but I yeah I I I believe you know I, I I would want that to be true, but I don't believe that it is. I yeah. think it it runs the danger of becoming like the war on Christmas in the U.S. You know what I mean? Like this sort of yeah. like. The left is coming for our beloved symbols. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that sort of like, and that's the sort of thing. It's like, well, there's a lot of empty rhetoric. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah but I'm, you know, and say at the same time, it is, and I'm not completely dismissing that. I don't think like because I know there's a lot of very much smarter people than me that are calling for Canada Day to be to be canceled. But I think like to me, it feels like there's a bigger fight that needs to happen. But uh, but I agree with what you said. I mean, when when Canadian people, you know what I mean, like like. The great masses see something happening, then it does make them wonder what's going on. Yeah, my my belief, though, honestly, is that that there is a tendency for Canadian people, when challenged like that, to simply close themselves off and say, "You know what? Screw you! Like this, this is Canada, man. I love it, man. Yeah, yeah. you know, tragically hip. Even though the tragically hip had a message that would probably agree with it, but I mean that that sort of like this sort of bland Canadian identity comes out in full force when it's challenged, right? Like truck nut, truck nuts, and yeah. and whatever, right? Canadian beer, but I, I think so. I don't know. And again, that's not to dismiss anything. That's just my my point of view. I think I'd rather them see land return to us. You know what I mean? Let that let them be shaken by that, not the fact that Canada Day is 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 not being celebrated. Yeah, like yeah. Let them the fact that that you know reparations or any of these things. Like let them be shocked by that instead. You know what I mean? Like let's stop. I shouldn't say let's stop um, trying to fight for Canada Day to be canceled. I just think you know what, like that—that's what I want to see instead. And it's so, it, you know, uh, it, these yeah, sort of, these, yeah, you know, yeah. No, I, I hear you, but as someone who tends to offer socio-political commentary via comedy, I would guess that yeah. you and, and I, I assume and we'll get into this. I keep saying we're going to get into it, but I guarantee you we will. Your background <laughs> and where you come from and all that stuff, but. I do think yeah. there I would I would hope you would agree that there can be efficacy in the power of language in talking and communicating. And I mean I I guess when you're uh, my love of satire stems from the fact that it's speaking a truth that we it's speaking a truth that we don't always acknowledge. Whatever the satire might be. It, that's really yeah. at the heart of it. Like can you believe we act this way? Here's a send up of it and or or or, or we behave yeah. this way. So I would think, like, I, I yeah. totally understand what you're saying. Like, there's got to be real change, and it should be a material, tangible change, not just empty yeah. words. But at the same time, what I'm arguing, I guess, or, or suggesting th- that you might even agree with is that words do have power. They might be incremental, but if you can provoke people to think by saying something, whether it's a joke or a speech, I mean, yes, they can be empty, they can be fleeting, but would you agree, like, discussions words commentary comedy these things have some power don't they sure but it's not enough i mean i have yeah. every right to be impatient by i mean this has been going on for literally hundreds of years now this yeah. this discussion of canada indigenous people right like and we're always on the short end of the stick and no amount of jokes are going to change that in in, yeah. in any way that's fair like, I, I, you know what, like I'm, I'm i'm tired i'm tired of it like I, and i i want to see change now yeah you know what i mean so yeah this idea that every generation has to meet their neighbors again and oh you guys are being screwed over you know like that's that's the willful ignorance of canadians is this this yeah. discovery of every couple of years that indigenous people are here and are, and are in a bad way 
And that's not to say, again, I'm not poverty porning my people. Like we're, you know, a lot of us are doing really incredible things. But if you look at the overall relationship between Indigenous people in Canada, it's very, very uneven, right? Despite the fact that we may be doing much, much better. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, great. If people want to have that discussion, that's great. But I'm, I'm sick of it, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready for something more. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are. There's a real impatience now that I, you know, every couple of years I see it happen, and I see, you know, like Idle No More, which was a huge movement, you know, that's still going on now. But, but that, that, that sort of sparked a few years ago during uh, Stephen Harper's reign. And that was sort of like this awakening, this political awakening and spiritual awakening for a lot of people. And that's sort of building, you know, everything builds on the last movement before it, right? In the 60s and 70s, it would have been the Red Power Movement. So there was all of these things, these indigenous movements, awakenings that sort of happen where we're, we're, we're pushing against Canada and saying like, things have to change and we're, we're getting real sick of talking. It's time to start doing more. So, yeah, no, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, I I, I want to get into your background a little bit more. Um, you at the top we established that you're in Winnipeg. My understanding yep. is you're you're from Manitoba. Is that correct? Yeah, I was born in Winnipeg, but my people are from the Saging First Nation, which is uh, an Anishinaabe community uh, on the east side of Lake Winnipeg. And so I sort of grew up in that area a lot. Like my mm-hmm. mom was a teacher, and so when I was a kid, we lived in Saging, and then we moved to a place called Hollow Water. First Nation, which is just north of there. And so I spent a lot of time in that area up until I was a teenager, you know, late teens. And then, and then I moved back to Winnipeg. So back to Winnipeg. Yeah. We had a, yeah, that's it. Back to Winnipeg, but we had a house (laughs) in Winnipeg. And so we would go back and forth quite a bit. And so, but, but when I talk about home, it's usually that, that, that area. And, And what was your, how would you describe your upbringing? How would you characterize it? Um, was it, was it okay? Was, was oh, yeah. It, was, no, it was great. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. parents were, uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad worked for like an elder's home on, on in our reserve. So he used to drive back and forth there. And so uh, it was, a, I, I come from a very big family. I'm like the youngest of 11 kids. And so it was like crazy, but fun, but also, you know what I mean? Like kind of hectic. And then my mom was from uh, First Nation in Saskatchewan. And so we used to go, we used to drive out there every summer. And so it was a lot of fun. It was like, in some ways, it was very sort of almost stereotypical. Like we 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 literally had a station wagon when we were kids. You know, and then we got a, we got a minivan when we got older, and so that's sort of like that upbringing, right? Lots of swimming and fishing okay. and stuff like that. It yeah. was it was nice. It was great to to be out there and to be with a a, a a family so big. It's still it's still nice to know I have so many siblings and cousins and aunts and everything like that. I mean, our family is huge, right? So that's that's not. Atypical for Indigenous people, but it was it was really great. I really, uh, as I get older too, I become more nostalgic, right? So right, I'm quite yeah. prone to it. Now I, yeah, it happens. Yeah. It, it happens, and I'm gathering where I'm. I will I will confess to you or reveal to you. Yeah. I don't know if it's a confession, but I'm like 43. I'm guessing we're around the same age. I'm 45. Yeah, so we're we're fairly close. Okay, yeah, yeah we're rough. Yeah. We're pretty close. So. You're coming up. Uh, I my understanding from the Walking Eagle News about section is that you <laughs> are are or were an actual. Let's say I'm putting it in air quotes. Yeah. An actual jur- journalist. You pursued journalism yes. in some. Yeah, degree? I didn't yeah. go to. You know what? I'm I'm kind of like uh, Forrest Gump. I didn't. I, I never meant to do anything in my life I, except for comedy. I'll get to that later. But I never really meant to yeah, do anything yeah. in my life. And so what happened was. 
I got a job. It's kind of a long, you know what? I, I stopped in Regina on my way out west. This was probably 1999. Mm-hmm. And stopped up. I have a sister there and I stopped in and I didn't really have anything going on. So she said, well, do you want to come and work at the university? There was There's the First Nations University of Canada. I said, sure. So I got a job as like a, I was doing course evaluations for, for the university. And then I, you know, I was kind of plugging away doing that. And then they said, well, this is coming to an end. Do you want to stay on? And I said, sure. And so they said, well, we have this media program here. Do you want to go? And they, they need an admin assistant. And I said, sure. So huh. I popped into this program and I just fell in love with what they were doing. It was basically like a like an indigenous J school, but also they were teaching them how to use cameras and all these sorts of things. And I had a real interest in, in all of that. Like I always wanted to do you know, photography or videos or anything like that. This was when sort of like prosumer cameras were becoming a thing and they had, yeah. they had some, right? So it, yeah. it just became this really cool community and I got into that there. And then when people found out I could edit and shoot because I taught myself how to do it, I started getting gigs doing like documentaries and TV shows and things like that. And then I met uh, a guy by the name of Rick Harp, who's a journalist who was doing a show in Winnipeg called Contact, which was like a call-in show, mm-hmm. a call-in TV show on ABTN. And they said they were looking for someone to be a, a writer and researcher. And so which was basically oh. like a chase producer. Yeah. And so I moved back to Winnipeg. I, I ended up getting the job and moved back to Winnipeg. And then that, that really sparked it there. Like I had been doing, I was writing articles and doing stuff like that before that. But this, that was really my, my entry into TV production and TV journalism. So when you're when you're coming up, you say you had an interest in sort of media. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious about cuz I I feel like you're Forrest Gump, I'm also Forrest Gump, <laughs> you know. I I would my mother would uh, I would often tape uh David Letterman uh, yeah. at, on school nights I would tape it <laughs> and then uh watch it when I got home and my mom would start to notice this and one day she said what are you doing? Why are you why are you why are you watching this? What are you doing right now? And I said, and I just muttered homework, and she didn't like that. But that was my interest. My interest was not only in comedy uh, to me anyway. Yeah. It's not simply telling a joke. It's timing. It's rhythm. It's to me. I don't want to get too technical for people who don't know what this comedy that I'm discussing is. But yeah. it is a lot about editing, like video editing. If you do that well. That's the joke. Like the joke yeah. is the cutaway. Yeah, yeah. The jo- so that's what I got absorbed in as well, and yeah. eventually got into to broadcasting. But my foothold was comedy. Seeing comedy as an early kid, making as an early as a, as a young child. Sorry, I was early. Most kids are early. I was a young yeah. child, <laughs> and I was, I was a young see- child. <laughs> <laughs> and I I could make you could make if you make your classmates laugh. You, yeah. And you discover you have, like now my son has discovered this power and it's much yeah. to my chagrin because he won't stop doing bits. He's just constantly trying yeah. to do bits. But anyway, so comedy has really spoke to me. And then that was an entry point into music. Like music could be fun and funny. What was your yes. what were you seeing uh, in the realms of comedy, media, pop culture? I assume as a younger guy that got you yeah. thinking about it and also journalism. Like, did you have influences at that point? No, like when I was a kid, I saw the Killing Fields movie. Oh, <laughs> which is which is not which is not a funny movie. Not, not I, funny at all. Not, not funny. At funny. All. No. But I was sort of drawn to that world of like these people, you know, go to they travel the world and they tell stories, right? They they capture what's happening there, and 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 so I was sort of enamored by that when I was younger, and then this was like in junior high, what they call junior high then, 
And then I had an English teacher who uh, I think I re- I reminded him when I was younger of John Malkovich's character in that show. And so he said, you know, you, you could probably be a journalist when you're older. I don't know what, what oh. I, you know. Yeah. And so that sort of stuck with me, but I didn't, I didn't think anything of it until, uh, cause I was painfully shy too when I was in school and then high, you know, it wasn't until high school that I kind of late high school that I got out of that. Yeah. But I was painfully shy. So I never thought I would be a journalist. And then the only sort of exposure I had to anything that was sort of near to satire in terms of media was Spitting Image, the TV show. Oh, okay. And what was and that, so what was that show about for those who don't know? So for those that don't know, it was a show that did skits about uh, world figures and political figures, but using puppets. Right. And they were sort of like caricatures of... of this was their, based in know, England, wasn't it? It was based in England, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. and I remember being just sort of like blown away by this. Because I did, my f- mom and dad, especially my dad and all my aunts and uncles and stuff, they were all news junkies. Like, I think don't think people give enough credit for it. Like, people sort of look at our parents' generation in a funny sort of way as if they weren't really aware of the world. But, uh, you know, that that's the generation that had newspapers in their hands the whole, you know, every day. That was my dad's ritual was to come home and read the paper and watch the news, right? So I was always watching the news. Yeah. We had, a, we had, I, a, we had yeah. a subscription to Time Magazine, I remember, as a kid. So yeah, yeah. I would write yeah. letters. I would write letters to Time Magazine, like as a kid. Oh, just no about. way. Yeah, they never published them, but I wrote them. And some of them were a little dubious, I will say. For some reason, I, I was like, this Mike Dukakis guy doesn't seem very cool. Like, I was writing, like, weird opinion pieces, and then I think about it, I'm like, well, why was I an arch conservative as a child? It doesn't wash with my whole worldview now, and it was just whatever they were... It was probably because they would write glowingly. It was probably my first yes. exposure to being manipulated by the media, and that's, I, I, I felt... Think that's the I, thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, like that, that was me with the Reagan administration. Like I had no idea, right? And so yeah, but they seemed, you, see, you just watched. It seemed magical, didn't it? But in yes. reality, we weren't really privy maybe no. to the, what the policies were. We just thought, oh, he's a good natured old guy. He was an actor. Like that's yes. kind of fun, you know? And I, I think that's, yeah, not to draw too fine a line, but I mean, that's a real parallel with, uh, what went on yes. with the, the last guy they had, the former guy, because, yep. And it happens yeah. here too, just cults of personality over, policy and i'm sure and that's yeah and that's the thing that's the thing that i'm i'm the most critical of now you know with my work now is is that cult of personality right and you see it because it can be very dangerous absolutely yeah yeah but uh yeah yeah so that was yeah so that was sort of my exposure to to media when i was a kid and then but then you know i i think about it now and why i found news funny and why i did Things that, but also how I learned the cadence and language of news was as we were kids because we watched news so much. My, especially my older brothers, I have a brother named Monty. Yeah. And he could mimic news reporters like crazy. And it was the funniest thing for us. So he would do it, but he would pretend that he was in like reserves in Manitoba. So he would say like, Monty Fontaine, CBC News. Duck bay. <laughs> and it was just like the funniest thing for us. And so we would, he would do that all the time and he would talk about like, stuff that was happening in our community and he would do it in that in that voice right yeah. and so and that's and the funny thing is like that voice hasn't changed that much for news right like a lot of reporters put on this this voice and i'm, I'm sure I've, I've i've watched news clips of myself sometimes where i'm like what the fuck am i talking like that for like <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense you know what i mean like this this sort of 
you know, I know it's for clarity and it's for presentation and whatever, and you're supposed to, you know, try and emphasize certain things, but it's like my confusion of the, what is it? The mid Atlantic accent. Yeah. Like I can't remember what they, yeah. yeah. Like now I understand, <laughs> now I understand how a, a whole group of people can speak the same way now, right? Because journalists oh, yeah, are guilty you, of that. Well, you're yeah. getting into a very interesting uh, point there about representation. Yeah. Uh, because as I understand it, you did work for APTN and, you know, I was just chatting. I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, relatively recent book by Cliff Nesteroff. Yes. Yeah. Have you have you read it? I've read it. Yeah, I've 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 both read it and listened to the audio book. I it's quite it's quite the book. Yeah, it is. It's called. Uh, so for those who don't know, well, Cliff was just I, I we spoke around the time of the uh, just some inside baseball here. Cliff and yeah. I spoke around the time of the release of the book, but I didn't release it uh, the episode here on this show okay. till recently. And Cliff's been on the show before, and so. Uh, if you if, have you read his other book, The Comedians, by the way, I haven't. No, I, I, I'm I'm meaning to. Usually, I think based on your love of comedy and history, uh, yeah. and and you can kind of pick it up from the book you read. We had a little real estate problem that yeah. Cliff is very diligent and thorough and and uh, a great writer as well. Anyway, yeah, we got to a point in the conversation about the book, and it's 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 part of the book that just how significant representation in media was for fledgling and aspiring comedians and indigenous yep. artists because they weren't seeing themselves and when you don't see exactly. yourself uh on the news like you you were talking about the mid-atlantic accent and i think yeah people turn into what they see a little bit like they yeah they they see themselves in the news reporter with the stilted delivery but then that you're right they just start talking like them which is odd yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 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 that's kind of weirdly still with the power of media like you kind of talk like what you see and read and hear. Yes. And I think what I took away from Cliff's book in particular was this notion of representation. Like there weren't, by his reckoning, uh, well, there were indigenous comedians, but they just weren't heard about uh, or known. Yeah. And so as that developed, as APTN or CBC, like the ma the bigger some of the bigger media outlets started to cover them, then there would be more comedians and they would see themselves. Yes. So did you see yourself... In any media, as a fledgling journalist or comedian, the funny thing is, when I was a kid, and I mean like a kid, kid, there was a reporter in Winnipeg, and my mom, she's gone now, but she used to always talk about how she used to babysit him when he was a baby. <laughs> but his name is his name is Jim Compton, mm -hmm. and he's he was one of the first, probably no, he, not one of the first. He was the first journalist, indig visibly indigenous journalist I ever saw on TV when I was a kid. He was with. I think with CBC in Manitoba or CTV, which is, right. you know, the local, which was called CKY at the time. And he had braids and everything. And he was like visibly, visibly indigenous. Mm. And, and it was such a mark of pride for us when we were kids to see this guy. And he would cover all, like he wasn't just on the indigenous beat either. He covered all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that was my first exposure that you could be indigenous and, and, and be on a TV show, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to just become something else to get there, right? So that was, that was my first exposure to that. And then of course, I think like, actually I was on a panel with Cliff a while back and, and we were talking about the first sort of things we saw on TV and Sesame Street was a huge thing for me when yeah. I was a kid because you saw people that were brown, you saw people that were black, you saw people that were Asian, you saw people, we saw Buffy St. Marie on there, you know what I mean? Who is from Saskatchewan, where my mom is from. So that, that was a big, yeah. big deal for me when I was a kid. Yeah, for me it was much music. Like they just had yeah, a yeah. multicultural yeah, well, cast. that's yeah, that's that's yeah. right. Yeah, and so so I mean, it, it, those things are important, and I think 
yeah, so my exposure was was those sort of things and and it's still but it still wasn't enough to sort of make me think that I could ever get there. It wasn't until I, you know, I went to APTN where I thought and and I've gone back and forth between whether like in my life I used to think, well, I could be very comfortable just being here in this indigenous media world and not mess around with, with you know, quote unquote mainstream yeah. stuff. But but then, then there were other times where I thought, no, I can I can I can go and do that. And I did, right? I went to I worked for CPAC in, in Ottawa and covered politics. I worked for CBC. You yeah, know. yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, I moved around a bit and sort of showed that I could I could do it. A lot of it was just sort of very personal. Like, it was, it's funny. Like, I, I never intended to do it. And I have left and gone and done other, other things. But it, it's been the longest thing I've ever done. And it was always this sort of thing where, I think it was at the five or six year point where I thought, well, what else? No, it must have been the five year point where I thought, well, what else am I going to do yeah. now? Like this is this is all I've done for the last five years. I might as well keep doing it. And so, and you get yeah, you get a certain amount of experience, and it just sort of it keeps snowballing, and it's like that's that's all you can think of doing. You you've kind of modestly suggested you force gumped your way into journalism. And well, I did because I didn't go to J school and I didn't, I, I'm not a very educated man. I just sort of, you know, I, I, and I've talked to other people who got into media in a similar way, which is sort of like through the back door and, you know, I'll, I'll come in and do this very specific thing. And my thing was like, I had to answer the phones on the call in show and help them chase guests. Yeah. Which is, which was a really good training ground for it's, it's just as good as J school as far as I'm concerned. You know how to talk to people, strangers. Yeah. And you know how to track people down. This was this was just on the cusp of the internet being a thing in journalism. And so I had at that time we had stacks of newspapers and stacks of uh phone books from around the country that we had to like pour through to try and find people. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was pretty yeah, I I got some good investigative chops while I was there. Well, I will I will just uh harken back to something you said because I didn't go to J school either. I also worked yep. for CBC and still do some stuff for them here and there. Yeah. But I was staff there for 4 or 5 years. I didn't go to J school. I, the thing I want to harken back to is the significance of a good English teacher for pe- yeah. people maybe like you or me because I didn't I was sort of floating around high school not knowing what to do. And then I had two great English teachers, one of whom yeah. I thought was a dick and then I actually took a <laughs> class just from being around the the hallways and then he was yeah. wonderful. And like, you know, I I was writing uh, essays about uh, Conan O'Brien in like 1994 nice. or something and he encouraged it you know media analysis yeah. of the simpsons you know that kind of stuff and he yeah. saw something in me about it and and in retrospect if i think back on it they were pretty interesting little angles i had and i did but i didn't know that that was a career you know growing up with east yeah. indian parents you're not told to you're supposed to be a lawyer or a doctor for some reason they, they really want you to be a dentist which seems frustrating like why would you want your kid to be a dentist just going into people's mouths all the time i don't know why they thought that but anyway i yeah that that seems worse than most jobs dentist anyway yeah my thing is uh yeah so i i will say and i'm not gonna i don't know if you had like as a great experience but a good teacher as well as what you're seeing in the outside world but a good one or two teachers and i had them also in university frankly like my the- my master's thesis was on bob dylan my undergrad thesis was on hip-hop nice. culture like i could just english english is all i'm saying is <laughs> english is this yeah, open-ended had, thing yeah. isn't it like it can send you where it sent you and me by the sounds of it well it like i was a i was an early reader when i was like small very small and then i was a voracious reader for most of my life yeah. and 
I had, yeah, obviously it was only the English teacher and the librarians that used to, would, would clue into that, right? And so I had that same English teacher that said you should be a journalist was the one who said, you know, you've got kind of a, a, a wacky sense of humor mm-hmm. um, that he could see. Why don't you read some of these books? And so he was the one that really introduced me to, like, I, he was trying, at first he thought, well, here, read Dostoevsky, read this, read that. And I, you know, I, I would read it and, and, you know, you have no reference for what any of these things are, right? They're just sort of like, okay, well, this, this, this is interesting, but at the same time, it's like, I have no idea what these worlds are you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until he said, like, here, this is Breakfast of Champions. Right. Yeah. Vonnegut. Yeah. You know, yeah. And this is, you know, so uh, Catch-22, I mean, Catch-22 is still my, probably one of my absolute favorite books. And I just love the tone and the sort of dry, you know, humor of it and, and absurdity, right? Yeah. But I mean, obviously, like Vonnegut, like he was the master of that. And it was sort of like that opened up the world and and i realized like you you can be funny and not you don't have to be benny hill <laughs> <laughs> you can be you know smart I mean? like there's, yeah. There's, yeah yeah there's yeah. other types of humor that 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 exist and and it's not always what you know but that's probably why like when i was a kid i liked spitting image right or i liked you know a lot of these things and i, st- I still love you know all types of humor yeah. but at the same time like that was when i realized okay you know if i'm not conventionally funny I can still be funny, right? Like these things still make me laugh, and so that that, that was it was it was yeah because of an English teacher. I think that that's why I I got that. Well, you seem to be drawn to. You mentioned spinning image. You mentioned you know people doing impressions of news anchors, Vonnegut, yep. Heller. Like these, you're you're into satire. You're into sardonic humor. This all seems like a nice segue into Walking Eagle News because on <laughs> the website. I think you say, you get into this, I was a journalist and now I'm this, whatever this is, uh, in the kind of about section, which I think is is interesting. Where did that push into comedy and satire and this wonderful Twitter account and website? Like the website, I see, from what I can tell, the articles have slowed down. They're about once a month usually, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But the tweets, the tweets are wonderful and I... One of my jobs is to manage a comedy account, uh, a Twitter account. So I'm always seeing it, and I've uh, I, I share those things, and then I've had friends thank me for, <laughs> for showing them, like for for turning them on to Walking Eagle. They're like, "Oh my god, that's the greatest thing ever!" And I see it's just more and more popular. So I mean, for what it's worth, congratulations on it. But thank also, you. I want to get into where this came from. Can you talk about that? I assume it was. It appears from externally like a shift from real journalism to 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 comedy, oh, yeah. but but I don't know if it was that black and white, so to speak. No, well, it's sort of. So when I was so as as I was on the cusp of getting into journalism as a career in uh, again like two thousand two thousand and one, I was working at the university in Regina, and I thought I could get into comedy because I had there was a troop of us that you know, we were doing these live shows called the Crow Hop Cafe and we were writing sketches and, you know, it was sort of like Monty Python-esque, like we were looking at indigenous history and talking about like the fur trade and colonialism and Indian agents and all these things. And it was getting very popular. And then we all kind of went off and did other things. And so that was sort of like where I turned away from comedy and thought, well, I have to be a journalist because it's there's more money in it. And then... 
uh, towards the end of my journalism career, which I didn't know at the time was the end of my journalism career, I was getting very, very tired of being a journalist. Like I didn't, I just, I was very, very unhappy. Can you home in on that? Why were you unhappy? Uh, I think it, 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 it was just enough. I had been doing it for, you know, a decade or more. And Oh, I see. Um, okay. Journalism, journalism is, is incredibly soul crushing. <laughs> like it's sort of like, you know, the, the things you cover are awful for the most part. Right. And there's, there's a real responsibility for holding someone's story. Like when you're dealing with real people, which, which often you are, right? Like it's one thing to talk about politicians. It's another thing to talk about real people and, and to have that responsibility and tell their story. And but also go and get the other side of that story, right? You're never making anybody happy. It's often very, um, you know, there's such a weight to it. And so, yeah. I used to just hate it. I just, I just, I had had enough of it. And but at, at the same time, it's like I had a family, I had all these things. You know, I couldn't, couldn't just walk away from that. And I was also doing more and more. And so, it was like another turning point in my career. And so I thought, well, this this is it. Like, but I would also like walk by my desk and think I could be there in another ten years. You know what I mean? Like, and that was sort of like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. And then so, but then what happened was I was starting to do training, like I was doing more and more online writing. And when we would do the exercises for like you got you basically write a fake article, yeah, and yeah. So you learn how to do all the formatting and stuff like that. I used to use humor, and I would write <laughs> what, what were essentially some of the genesis of of these walking eagle stories. And I get a kick out of it, and the people in training would get a kick out of it. And then I finally one day got to the point where I had had enough. Like, I just couldn't do this job anymore. And uh, it was over some stupid story. I can't remember what it was. It was over some stupid story, and, you know, my boss wanted it to be a bigger story, and I thought, this is this is a 300-word story. Why are you trying to make it this? And I, yeah. something just snapped in me, and I thought, why am I here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I doing here? You know, and I walked away. And like literally got up and walked out and quit my job. And this was was this this was for a bigger outlet? Yeah, I was at CBC. At CBC, okay, yeah. 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 And I walked away and I never went back to journalism for the most part, you know, and sent my poor family scrambling because, you know, there's half the income gone. Right. And, but then, so I thought, okay, well, like part of it too was like because you're a part of an organization and because you're a journalist, like I was seeing what the Harper government was doing. I was seeing what the liberal government was doing. I was seeing what all of these things were happening in the world. And I couldn't actually say anything. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't help my people other than to do these two-sided articles. Right, exactly. You, and, you know, yeah. regardless of the slant, regardless, you know, whether you have a left slant or right slant or whatever, it's still, that's that's what you're doing. And I know there's power in that, but it it, it, it wasn't enough for me. And I thought like, I want to say something. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to actually say something and feel... Like I'm actually being able to say something right. and not harm the people that I'm writing about or not harm the organization that I'm with. Mm-hmm. And so when I left journalism, I quickly went back to CBC and wrote op-eds for a while just to sort of tell the world, like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not, I'm not the, 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 the unbiased journalist anymore. I have an opinion yeah, and I have things that I want to say. But that wasn't enough either. And then it wasn't like one night... I was bored. I was in my office at home and I did all of Walking Eagle News, building the website and writing, I think, the first three articles just that evening. And 
just thought, screw it, I'm going to hit publish. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, and I put it out there. I built a Twitter account, and I started, you know, whatever. And then it, it just, like, took off immediately. Like, th- people started sharing them, and then I was doing it anonymously. Yeah. And people were really loving it and also, you know, falling for it, unfortunately. That's the danger. Satire, some that, people yeah. are, believe that the satire is yeah. real. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, but then somebody I know and respect said, I hope this is an indigenous person. Because if it was some white person doing this, then, then this, this right. is going to be a problem. Right. It's, it's so from our perspective, right? Yeah. So I inboxed them and said, well, it's me. And they said, okay, you, you should really consider putting your name on it because yeah. people are going to start wondering what's going on. And so I was about to do it. And then I was contacted by someone from the Canadian press who said, you know, we really want to do a story on this. Oh. And so I said, okay. And so that was my, that was my coming out and telling everybody, ta-da, it's me. <laughs> and I was scared, scared because I thought like I was still known as a serious journalist, you know what I mean? Like a, a serious writer. And so to come out in this sort of way. And then it, from there, it just it completely took off. Like I, we were, I was doing, I don't know how many stories, like there was this whole slew of stories that came out after that, right? So, and I would get invited to go and do things like, and so it was, uh, it, it, it turned out really quite well. It, it paid off in a way that, that was, I'm still happy about it, right? Like I'm still, I'm still very proud of it. You should be very proud of it. Of it's the, Yeah, of the work I did. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. You said people sort of fall for it. Yeah. And that yeah. leads me to wonder about the, the general reception to this stuff, because the for those who fall for it, they might view it as it's a funny thing. Like everything, things that aren't political become politicized so easily these days. We just oh, experienced yeah. this with we are experiencing this rather with the pandemic and masks and vaccines and like these are not political yeah. issues. Like they should never have been delineated yeah. to the right or the left, but they end up anything with compassion seems to be a left leftist conspiracy, <laughs> and anything that's wanton and nihilistic yeah it's very bizarre anyway but my point is uh yeah the reception to walking eagle news how would you characterize it i i gather and i illuminated an, at least one example of it being received very well are there people actually within so there's the people who fall for it let's call them white white people i assume but maybe not uh how <laughs> would you <laughs> how would you yeah. characterize the reception among your peers your indigenous peers and also the general public, because I do think it has definitely resonated with lots and lots of people. It's quite popular, but I also imagine yeah. you're starting to hear from people who either take exception to it for one reason or another, whether they're really close to the material, whether they don't agree yeah. it should even have a platform. I think you know where I'm coming from. Can you characterize the reception? It's been really, really varied in terms of people that don't like it. Like the people that like it, it's in a funny position because both the right and left like it. Yeah. The left likes it because it attacks things that are unfair. The right seems to like it because I attack the liberals. Yes. And left and lefties. Yes. <laughs> Which is sort of like, because a lot of it has to do with hypocrisy, right? And absurdity yeah. and pointing that out. And so, and then the people that don't like it though are this for the same reasons, right? right? right. So when we, you know, we attack Harperism, which is still strong, or we attack, you know, the sort of, you know, racist and things like that. People get mad about that. And then when we attack the left, people get mad about that. So, I mean, the response has been really crazy. Like some people, 
And then some people, I think, just get mad because they fell for it, which is never <laughs> my intention. Like I've never, I've never written something and thought, "Oh, I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna mess with people here." But I, I think that's true. I think some people don't want to admit that they they fell for yeah, it, right? Sure. And so they just sort of get mad, and say, "Oh, well, you shouldn't be doing this or whatever, or you have this or that." And so earlier on, people would try and get really sort of pedantic with it and just sort of like try and break it down and and say, "Well, you're quoting people as because it is written." Exactly. For the most part, they're, they're much shorter, but it is written exactly the same as I would if I was a, a real journalist. Oh, yeah. The same. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, everything, the way the quotes are written, everything, as much as possible, I try and keep it the same way. Well, I think for some and of so, us, yeah. for, for some of us steeped in sort of contemporary comedy, there may be parallels to draw to something like The Onion or whatnot. Uh, but yes. from yeah, an yeah. indigenous perspective, obviously. And I guess I. I'll ask that question in terms of the tone. Like the tone, the tone yeah. seems contemporary, but like I say, drawn from certainly since the 1960s. You know, American satire, uh, National yeah. Lampoon, these sorts of things. So it's within that vein of like a quote, but it's not really a quote. You know, like yeah, it's yeah. sending people up. But I mean, we were talking earlier about representation and indigenous comedy. And I wonder if you have particular influences. Like I, I invoke the onion, not knowing if. That is an influence per se, but can you talk a little bit about that? Like, in terms of your tone as a comedy writer, do you have a sense yeah. of where that comes from? I think, again, it came from, like, Vonnegut. It came from oh, right. my brother yeah. mocking the news, you know what I mean? Like, parodying the news. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think I do like parody more than satire Yeah, sometimes. that's fair, yeah. Um, yeah. And... Mad so Magazine? Did you of, did you like Mad Magazine? I love Mad. Yeah, yeah, you know when I think about it now, I I, I I I sometimes forget the things that I really loved when I was a kid. But that was one of them was Mad Magazine, right? And the Far Side. Um, Are you a Far Side fan? Yeah, yeah. I've come and gone on that a few times, but I did I did love what they did. And again, that sort of like this this dry and yet absurd and sort of like these moments that that you watch and you think like you know. Kids in the Hall was another one. You know what I mean? Like it was just. Oh so, yeah, well, I'm a huge Kids in the Hall fan. We yeah. de devoured that when we were kids, when we were teenagers. Yeah. So yeah, there was stuff like that that sort of I think influenced subconscious. It sounds the like tone. It's, it's subconscious. Yeah, subconsciously, yeah. I think the the tone, and so that sort of like matter of fact presenting of something so absurd is always very funny to me, right? And so I think that's and that comes from a lot of those sort of. Right. Okay. Um, I just, I, you know, that's from, from that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the the name, uh, what is the significance of yeah. the name? <laughs> so the, the the night I was putting the thing together, it came time to buy the Earl, and so yeah. I thought, well, what am I gonna, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll call it the Honeypot News, which is a portable toilet that they use in First Nations <laughs> right? communities because there's no running water, and so I thought, well, Honeypot is actually, I didn't, I never said Honeypot when I was a kid. We used to say slop pail. Right, and I thought, well, I can't call it the slop pail news because it doesn't sound newsy enough. Honeypot sounds like it could be some whatever, right? Some yeah. some obscure publication. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I don't want to do that. It sounds too cutesy. And then I remembered this joke of the walking eagle, which is the the joke is, and I don't even know who told it. Some people say it was Charlie Hill, but I don't think it was. I think it's a much older joke that's been told by white people and non people. Anyways. The joke is that some political figure or historic figure goes to an indigenous community is visiting and some elder there bestows them a name walking eagle and the, the figure is all proud and leaves saying i'm walking eagle 
and some aide or somebody goes and asks the indigenous person after, why did you give him that name, Walking Eagle? What does it mean? And he says, it means it's it, the eagle is so full of crap it can't fly. <laughs> so that was the joke. That was that was, and I thought, okay, well, this is this is obscure enough that if you know that joke, you'll know what it means. You'll know that it, it it's indicating that some, and it, and I've seen people work that out on Twitter, right? Where they're like, walking eagle. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, it's so, so full of crap it can't fly. So that was why it was sort of like, it was like a wink to people saying like, look, here's here's your first hint. Here's your first clue that something isn't real here. Well, I mean, that's... And that's where it came that's, from. Yeah. That's, so that's very that's funny. Where, yeah. Uh, so in terms of what is sort of next, like you, you're tweeting, what, every day at least, it seems like? Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's very rare that I, yeah, and you're absolutely right that I've taken, I'm doing less of the articles and more of the sort of tweeting and, and Instagramming and stuff like that. And so, and, and I mean, you earlier, and I don't, I don't mean to pry, but you were like, yeah. I walked away from a job. I have a family to feed. Yeah, is Walking Eagle paying no. off per se? No, in many ways, it's well, it's paying off in different ways. In many ways, it's what got me into doing comedy full time, which is what I. I had always dreamed of doing when I was, you know, before I became a journalist. Right. So because of that, the first thing that happened was I got a call from an old producer friend of mine to do like a sort of comedy news panel show on APTN. And, I, you know, obviously it's like there's not there's not very many uh, journalists that have got into comedy. So I was the perfect match for that. So I said, OK, well, I'll do that. Right. So I did that. And then that led to getting a call to do the Beaverton TV show. Oh, there you go. And then the show that I was doing for AP10, which was called The Laughing Drum, we got picked to be one of the headliners for the TO Comedy Sketch Fest. So that sort of put put me again on the sort of bigger stage, right? So Walking Eagle and then this and then the Beaverton. And then I started doing Because News. And then and then I got, I've got to develop a deal with uh, CBC right now to, to work on a, a half hour comedy show. So that's been slow going, but that's, that's wow. basically, I think my career is moving towards uh tv writing or you know. wow that's so got to be a yeah, it's so got to be a bit of a dream come true yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so it's it's learning it's learning that it's learning the language of that and learning and and more and more like i'm trying to move more towards doing like comedy right like doing actual straight up comedy and not not the sort of like news journalism parody oh okay satire okay. stuff right so i think Do you, have you ever done stand up no no i mean i did we did a i did a live show we did a th- it was sort of I did a show called the Walking Eagle Lectures. So I was watching the TED Talks and I was watching the Massey Lectures, and I thought, okay, well, I can do that, <laughs> but I don't want to talk for an hour straight. So I thought I said I'll, I'll pick five or six uh, comics that I really like or just funny people, and and I'll get them to do sort of a five ten minute thing on any topic that they want. And so we called it the Walking Eagle Lectures, and we did the live show at the West End Cultural Center in Winnipeg. And so that that was sort of like my the only time that I've ever sort of just stood up on stage oh, okay. without a script and just sort of done like. I mean, you're proving it's not essential to do. You know, the path is usually writing, stand up, then you get all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah. like, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I don't mean to make us both sound like old dudes, but it is interesting that a Twitter account, <laughs> Twitter account, or a good website is a resume now. I know. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing people, you would read stories of like, I can't remember the guy's name. I think maybe it might be Rob Delaney. I don't know. But he, there's a guy in the UK now who like, that. that's how he got his start. Yeah, he's an American who uh, is, has been, I think it's done. He was working on a show that uh, was set in England. Yeah. 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 
and he's got a funny. Yeah. He's also very funny on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there was a you know there was another uh, a woman from Calgary I think who yeah same thing she got a she got a book deal because of oh, there's her all sorts of like Sarah Cooper. Do you remember Sarah Cooper? Yeah. yeah, yeah, all sorts of people. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Cooper. Yeah, yeah. so stuff so, stuff white people like was another one. I really liked that, and that that became a book. Yeah, yeah. So like it, it is like it's a great time for someone like you who's creative and needs to express themselves, and then it leads to something like at least something like Walking Eagle News, which is much appreciated by so many people. And I, you know, Tim, for what it's worth, I just want to congratulate you and thank you for it because I also, it's not every day that we get indigenous comedy satire parodies like this. Uh, I can't think of too many examples that have resonated in this way. So for what it's worth, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So what's... Thank you. So, thank so you. if people want to learn more about Walking Eagle News, where would you like to send them, per se? I mean, obviously, there's the Twitter. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the hub is basically walkingeaglenews.com. Yeah. I mean, you can find... Everything you need to know about me... I shouldn't say everything you need to know about me, but all the links are there <laughs> for the Twitter account and the Facebook. And I'm not, not very active on Facebook anymore, but... And then the, uh, of course, the Twitter account. I mean, t- the Twitter account is really the the most active part of that whole property. Yeah. And now, and, and so, these yeah, days, I that, that's that's what's happening there. And you can buy T-shirts and stuff. I I see. Yeah, we've got T-shirts. We've got uh, occasionally I do like we were I I sold uh, cans of meat. Yes, I saw that. Like like spam. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was that was shockingly popular. <laughs> and then I did empty cans of uh, of milk. These are all things that are sort of like beloved by indigenous communities, and so you know they had like yeah the the it was straight up walking eagle news meat, and then the other one was the the can of milk was an empty can it was an empty empty can of reconciliation, right. and so that as well that those are even more popular. So stuff like that. I mean, and I mean the next like the thing that I'm. I'm actually working on now is the TV show, which is which is not related to Walking Eagle News, and the other is uh, that is Walking Eagle News is I'm adapting it to a one-off comedy album right now. Oh, amazing! Great. So that I'm I'm working, yeah, I'm working with uh, Comedy Records on that. And oh, so nice, Barry. Yeah, out. I know Barry yeah. Taylor there. Yeah, the yeah, they're, yeah, they're great guys, and so yeah, we'll be doing that in the f- like that's going to be out I think in the fall and winter. So that's that's sort of the next thing. Well, like, I hope the, we can maybe the evolution of Walking Eagle News. <laughs> It is becoming a small conglomerate somehow, and I hope various. so. Yeah, it's going to be like the it's going to be like the Marvel universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but various. the Walking Eagle universe, multifaceted yeah. product line. No, that's great. That's yes, that's wonderful. Well, yeah. uh, I again, I'm a big fan of it, and I'm a big fan of yours. And Tim, uh, I wish you uh, all the best, and I hope people follow it. And yeah, based on the number of projects you you have, I hope we speak again soon about those things and, and best of luck in the future thank you very much Vish I appreciate it well like I said there to him uh, Tim Fontaine that was lovely thank you so much to Tim Fontaine for being on this the 621st episode of Creative Control which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, uh, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on its Facebook page if you like. You can also follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. 
Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And also, if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. I've had to say that for some time. Supplies are lasting longer than they should. So uh, yeah, if you're on there, if you're on the Patreon and you want a shirt, write me and I will send you one. You deserve it. And I deserve to get rid of these shirts. I'd like to thank uh, the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. And I'd also like to thank for their in-kind support Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All lovely places. If you're in the area, if you can hear me in those places, go to those places and support them. They're wonderful. Speaking of wonderful things you can support, he's not a thing, really, but he sometimes he feels like a thing. Jim Guthrie, he's a thing, and a guy, and a person, and he's a friend of mine, and he lets me use some music of his on the show, and you can learn more about him and his vast catalog of song at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this episode with uh, Tim Fontaine. Tim is wonderful, and as you can tell, very thoughtful, very gracious, and very, very funny. And that Walking Eagle News, one of the funniest things on the internet. So if you haven't checked it out yet, follow Walking Eagle News. I believe uh, off the top of my head, the handle for on the Twitter is The Eagleist. But uh, anyway, just look up Walking Eagle News and you'll find it. Also, I've linked to everything on the, on the podcast uh, blurb there, so you should be able to find them. Anyway, he's great. Thank you for listening to this episode with Tim and for potentially subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends about it. All that stuff helps, and that's all. I hope this episode gave you some things to think about. Uh, I know it gave me some things to think about. I thank you for listening. I will talk to you very soon, so soon. You won't even believe how soon we're going to talk. But uh, until then, bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.